Red Rocks Church, how are you guys? Are you good? You feel alive? You happy to be in church? Hey, stay standing as we uh, read the Word of God with each other this morning. And welcome to Red Rocks. And by the way, if you have some space, please scoot in while we are standing. That would be super helpful. I'm gonna read two stories that if you grew up in church, you know them, and even if you, this is your first time stepping foot into a church ever, you probably have heard one of these two. And this is out of Luke chapter 10, here we go. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, being Jesus, to the test. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said to him, well, what is written in the law and how do you read it? Now the law was basically this guy's Bible. And Jesus is asking the underlying question we've been asking in this entire series called, where's Jesus? He says, how do you read that book? How do you read it? And the guy answered, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and then your neighbor as yourself. And, and then Jesus said, okay, yeah, you've answered correctly. Do that, go and do that all the time, perfectly, and you will earn and deserve the eternal life you are seeking, you will live. But this lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, okay, well, who is my, my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, it was the Samaritan who had compassion, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of this man and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. That's his story. And then Jesus says, okay, now which of these three guys proved to, to be a neighbor to this man? You're asking about a what, what is a neighbor? I'm gonna give you a who, who was a neighbor? This guy said, I guess the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yeah, exactly. Now go and do likewise. The scene now changes and we move into verse 38, the next story. As they went on their way from there, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister there called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, Jesus, do you not care that my little sister has just left me here to serve alone? Please tell her to come and do anything. Tell her to come help me. But Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, Martha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Girl, you are anxious and troubled about many different things. There is one thing that is necessary. Mary has picked it. She has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. We're gonna call this message, this is not a TED talk. So turn to somebody and say, I don't know why you came to church today, but this ain't no TED talk. This is not a TED talk. And you may take a seat and welcome to church. 
Holy Spirit, lead us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, I'm 34. I know I look 24. <laughs> okay. And uh, I've always been sort of the idealistic guy, but the older I get, I'm just starting to kind of believe that some things really are impossible. You know what I mean? I learn this lesson every single time I'm at a wedding and on, uh, on the dance floor, every time, because I love to dance, I just can't dance, I can't. Now, every time I say that, there's always some well-meaning person who just pops out from like a bush or a tree and says, excuse me, I overheard you saying you can't dance and you need to know that's not true. You can because everybody can dance and, and that would be so sweet if it weren't such a lie. <laughs> not all of us can dance, you guys. Not all of us were blessed by the good Lord with an ability to externally express this rhythm that we so clearly feel on the inside. Not all of us can do that. For instance, on every dance floor, at every wedding over the last decade, the song, Teach Me How to Dougie, will eventually start playing at some point in the night. I am describing to you my personal hell and my nightmare because... Everybody looks at me in that moment as like a collective epiphany, as if to say, well, your name's Doug. Teach us how to Dougie, Dougie. Like dance for us, this is your moment. We've all been waiting for this right here. And what they don't know is I wish so badly that I could, but I can't, I can't do it. I know who I am and I know who I'm not. Make no mistake, on the inside, I am hip hop to the core. Like, I really am. I believe that. I, I feel it. It's just externally is where I have the issues. Externally, I am Albert Brenneman from Hitch. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is my zone right here. This is my safe space. And anything outside of this, I got I to gotta pull back in quickly, okay? Anything outside of that safe space is dangerous, including that infamous teach me how to Dougie beat is for me an impossible situation. My wife has tried to teach me that dance so many times because she can do it, so good for her, and she'll break it down and, and show me one step, and she'll say, okay, just do that, and I go, exactly. That's the problem, is just doing that. <laughs> I understand the concept, I see it so clearly in my brain, but I can't get my, my body to do it, and then I just, I ruin the wedding reception because everybody looks at me, and then they get let down because they realize we finally meet a Doug under the age of 65, and he can't even do the Dougie? Like, is God even real? And is this a joke? And I ruined the wedding. And what I'm describing to you has happened seven times in my life. This is not a joke. This is a therapy session. Some things are impossible. The lawyer in our story finds himself in an impossible situation because he just asked Jesus how do I inherit eternal life? In other words, how do I get to heaven forever one day? It's a great question. You might even argue it is the question. And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. There's a man, he's on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho when he gets robbed and mugged and beaten and left half dead by the side of the road. And guarantee you this guy's now thinking, oh, that's a mood killer. And Jesus says, oh, well, don't worry because a priest comes along. Oh, well, good, the priest will help him. But Jesus says, actually, the priest is powerless to help him, can't be bothered, and just continues walking. Huh. Oh, but now a Levite comes along. You see what Jesus is doing here? These are elite, religious, powerful Jewish men. 
but still the Levite too, he, he can't be bothered and he keeps walking. Huh, what's the deal with those guys? It's a weird story. It's about to get weirder and more scandalous. Jesus says, now a Samaritan shows up. Some cultural context, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other with a racism that was a fever pitch back in that day. The Jews basically viewed the Samaritans as less than people. And so because Jesus is Jewish and the whole audience listening to his story is Jewish, I promise you this lawyer is thinking, yeah, Jesus, we all know what the Samaritan's gonna do. Probably kick this guy while he's down and spit on him, huh? And Jesus says, well, actually it's, it's the Samaritan who starts to, to show compassion and gets down off his animal and bandages this guy's wounds, pours on expensive oils and spends his resources and even takes this guy to an inn for the period of, of three days and leaves his credit card on file and says, when I come back, if anything's left outstanding, I'll take care of it then. And then Jesus looks at this lawyer who is without a doubt, jaw dropped and just shocked and Jesus says, okay, so which one of these guys was a neighbor? You asked about a what, I'm asking about a who. Who was the neighbor to this guy? And notice, the lawyer can't even say the word Samaritan. Can't even say Samaritan. He goes, I mean, I guess the, the third guy, the one who showed like compassion and stuff. And Jesus goes, exactly. So just go and, and do likewise. And let me remind you, why was Jesus telling the story in the first place? Because the lawyer asks, how do I get to heaven forever one day? And Jesus says, just go and do that and love and serve and walk this thing out and bat a thousand and never mess up and earn it for yourself, not just loving and serving your friends and your family and your barista, but also the guy who just cut you off in traffic and the, the coach who treated you wrong and the, the family that failed you or left you, the people group that disagrees with you, the church that hurt you and caused all that, that church baggage, everybody, the people groups who have different opinions, the troll who comments on your Instagram, everybody always love them and serve them without failing perfectly all the time and you will earn and deserve this eternal life that you are seeking. But wait a second, the next story is so contradicting to this. Because Luke, the author, he takes us from the Good Samaritan to now there's a scene change and we are in Mary and Martha's living room. And Mary, the youngest sister, this is classic birth order, she is sitting crisscross applesauce on the floor in front of Jesus doing nothing, nothing. And Martha, the older sister, is doing what any good and reasonable and decent and noble human being should do when God comes to your house for dinner. She's cooking and she's serving all by herself until she gets so flustered and frustrated she runs into the living room in her apron covered in falafel flour and pita bread and says, Jesus, will you please tell Mary, please tell my sister to help me. Please tell her to stand up and do something and to help me serve translation, Jesus. Will you please tell Mary to be a little bit more like the good Samaritan right now? And Jesus says the opposite. He says, no, he says, actually, it's Mary who picked the good portion. It's Mary who just chose the one thing necessary in all the human existence. Huh, 
Okay, so what do we do then? You know, Judah Smith has taught me so much about seeking and finding Jesus in scripture and stories, and he makes the point, you will never, ever hear these two stories preached in the same sermon. Because although they are back to back in the Bible, they are in their nature so conflicting and contradicting. So what we as pastors will do when we have meetings to, to plan sermon series like Where's Jesus is we will, we will sit down and go, okay, in the summertime, we're gonna do a series about Mary and Martha and about resting and just being with Jesus. And then mid-September, everybody's back to school, time to get everybody back in, in motion a little bit. We will do a Good Samaritan Project series and we will talk about going and doing likewise and we will light a fire and we will double our tips and we will go and we will be the church. So come on, Christian, go and be the Good Samaritan. Just, just also make sure that you're Mary and not Martha. So go and, go and do likewise. I mean, yeah, go and do like, like don't, you can't just sit there. I mean, I guess, yeah, you, you are supposed to sit there. Just, you gotta do something just as long as it's nothing, right? So go and, guys, just, I don't know, be with Jesus this summer and then come back for the fall series, okay? <laughs> but wait a second, so like, so is that it then? Is that the, the manifest mystery of the God of the universe and the miraculous answer for how the church is the living and breathing hope to the entire world, just try harder to be like the good Samaritan? I mean, to me, that sounds, sounds more like a nonprofit mission statement or a TED talk, not the supernatural solution to a fragmented humanity, just be nicer. I mean, yeah, okay, probably should, but Here's my point, if trying harder to be the good Samaritan was the solution to a broken world, it would have worked by now. I mean, it would have worked centuries ago. So what is it that we're not seeing in here? Do you remember the very first question Jesus asked this lawyer? You go all the way back to Luke 10, verse 26, and Jesus says to this guy, he says, what is written in the law? So that's, he's talking about this guy's Bible, your scripture. He says the same question we've been asking in Where's Jesus? He says, how do you read that thing? How do you read that? If you've been here over the last three weeks, this series that has been just so rich and so good, our, our text for this series comes out of Luke 24, and Jesus sits his disciples, he sits his boys down, and he explains to them how to read this. He says this, everything I told you while I was with you guys, it comes to this, that all things written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms have to be fulfilled. He went on to open their understanding of the word of God, showing them how to read their Bibles this way, what way? To ask where's Jesus? To see Jesus as the centerpiece of scripture. Have you, uh, have you ever read this book? It's so good, it's so good. Um, might be a little over your head, it was for me at first, but the objective from the beginning to the end on every single page of this book is the same, look for a person. Where's, where's Waldo? That's it. You do anything else, you're not reading this book right. 
And Jesus picks this up in front of his disciples and therefore us and says, this is kind of like that. From beginning to the end on every single page, like the objective is the same from the law, through the Psalms and the Proverbs, from the prophets and beyond. All of it is concerning him and fulfilled through him to pick this up and read it like it's where's Jesus on every single page. This book is not first and foremost just a, a collection of Bible stories. It is a collection of stories Stories that all work together to tell one ultimate story. It is a library of 66 different books written by 39 different authors on three different continents over the period of 1,500 years that all work together to parallel and foreshadow the one story about the one God-man whose life, death, and resurrection have not only divided history in two, but have changed everything as we as we know it. And I wonder if the reason we are so confused mid-sermon is because we just read scripture looking for principles and not a person. In other words, if you're anything like me, you just read yourself into the story of the Good Samaritan as the Good Samaritan. And you looked for a takeaway. But what if you're not the Good Samaritan. Well, if I'm not, who is? Take a wild guess while I ask this question. Where's Jesus in the story of the Good Samaritan? And what if you and me are actually the man who was left half dead by the side of the road on a journey through life going somewhere, alive on the outside but dead on the inside, powerless to, to help myself or, or do anything about it, but then here comes the priest, a.k.a. religion, but it's powerless to help, and here comes the Levi, a.k.a. the law, but it's powerless to save you, but then here comes the good Samaritan of the ages who does for you what you could never do for yourself, who comes down off of his animal to lift you up as if to, to trade positions or places with you. He who knew no sin came down to become sin, to lift me up, to become the righteousness of God, like Jesus is saying, let, let me give you what I deserve and the Father can give me what, what you deserve. The good Samaritan, who just like a, a Samaritan was marginalized and considered less than and pushed to the side and at great cost to himself over the period of three days, restores you and saves you and redeems you, lifts you up and takes you to an inn, AKA the church, to heal and to serve and to build and says, if anything's left outstanding, I'll take care of it one day when I come back. One day when I come back. Where's Jesus? Jesus is the Good Samaritan. And so Jesus finishes this story that on surface level just seems scandalous and crazy and kinda doesn't make sense. And he tells the lawyer just go and do likewise and do that perfectly and never fail and you will earn this eternal life. You will inherit this heaven that you want so bad. And what the lawyer should have said is Jesus, that's impossible. And Jesus would have said, I know. And that's the point. I can do what you can't. Jesus is bringing this man to the end of himself. Where's Jesus? You will oftentimes find him at the end of you. Hate to break it to you, 
But with the, the reality of eternity, the eternal question is for you and me an impossible situation. You can love and you can serve and you can go and do likewise until you can't do it anymore. But you cannot earn heaven. You cannot deserve heaven. But what is impossible for you now becomes possible for Jesus and through Jesus, which is why Mary is the one who chose the good portion. Mary is the one who picked the one thing necessary in all the human existence because the power behind us going and doing likewise is not found in us. It's found in a person named Jesus. We have to get all of it from him. In other words, we, we love each other because he first loved us. And we sacrifice for purpose because Jesus first sacrificed for ours. Trying to go and just do all those things and follow him and, and change the world and make a difference, uh, like without knowing Jesus, is kind of like being home and the power goes out and you suddenly realize how helpless you are to do just about anything. We gotta get it from, from him. And that's why at this church or this inn, as we wait for Jesus to come back, we're just gonna keep coming back to, to Jesus and talking about Jesus and singing about Jesus and learning about Jesus and sitting crisscross applesauce in front of Jesus, just like Mary. And as we do that, I'm telling you, a year goes by, 10 years goes by, 30 years goes by. And I think before we know, I think you'll just find that you're just going and doing likewise. And you're like, when did, that, when did that happen? It wasn't because I heard one sermon or Jesus said one story about the Good Samaritan and I just decided to be that because I can't do that. It's kind of like, like getting in shape and working out. You just, there wasn't, like you're just in shape and you look back and you go, when did that happen? Like there wasn't a day that I can just put on the calendar and say that was the day. It just sort of, it just sort of happened. The more you are with Jesus, the more you start to become like, like Jesus. I'm telling you, principles are great but principles cannot persuade your soul and TED Talks cannot change your life. But Jesus can transform you from the inside out until going and doing likewise is as natural as breathing. And I'm just finding myself being like, like Jesus. Why? Because I was with Jesus. Trying to relate to God and the Bible based on principles and performance rather than through a person turns a relationship that says I get to into a religion that says I have to. You have to go and do likewise. Do I have to? You do, yes. It's what Jesus would do and it's what you should do. I don't want to. I know, me neither, but we need to, okay? So go and let's, uh, no more rated R movies unless it's about the passion of the Christ and no more gambling, no more drinking. Let's get you serving and tithing. And that's the reason so many people have walked away from Christianity because they were given principles or performance, but they were never given a person. And that testimony and that story is so common in our city, in Austin. That might be your story that you, you find yourself right smack in the middle of right now, where you're, you're in a chair in this, in this auditorium this morning or watching on TV or a computer or in your headphones at a later date and you're going, yeah, I did try religion. What I'm telling you is that doesn't necessarily mean that you tried Jesus. Maybe you looked for principles, maybe you tried those, but the power is in a person and his name is Jesus. And when you look for him, you will start to see him everywhere. When you pick this up and you read every page, like where's Waldo, but where's Jesus, it's a lot more fun to read. You see, you can't unsee this stuff once you start seeing it. He's everywhere, not just in here, 
every, like every book that's ever been written, every movie that's ever been made are simply just beautiful expressions and pictures and shadows of the one ultimate story of God, for real. There's a reason specific themes and narratives resonate so much with our hearts. There's a reason we, we so love stories of sacrifice. There's a reason your heart beats faster and you get so fired up at the end of Avengers Endgame when Tony Stark snaps his finger and sacrifices his life to save the entire universe. We, like, there's a reason you love stories of unbreakable love. There's a reason every rom-com is the same movie over and over again and we wouldn't have it any other way. And don't argue with me, it's true. There's a guy, there's a girl, there's a meet cute. Oh my gosh, could they be perfect for each other? I think they might be, but there's a secret and he can't tell her, even though he's a really good guy. And as the audience, we know that, but he's afraid of being misunderstood, probably because of like a father wound from back in his hometown where he grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. And literally you're like, just tell her bro. And then he's on his way to her apartment to finally tell her, but she like finds out another way like 30 minutes before and and then you're like, oh my gosh, like it's a misunderstanding. He's a good guy. And just when you think, surely all is lost, he hops on his motorcycle and chases down her taxi cab on the Brooklyn Bridge because love is unbreakable and we love that. And the reason is, the reason you love that is because you were, your heart was designed by a God whose love for you will never fail and stays the same through the ages. The reason we love stories of sacrifice is because you were made by a, a God who, who sacrificed everything to save you in the, the most epic story of good, triumphing over evil that the universe shall ever know. And, and these themes, his story, are now written into our hearts. And when you look for him, you will start to see him everywhere. I, I see Jesus everywhere that I go. I can't not see him anymore. I see Jesus and his sacrifice in Harry Potter when he walks into the forest into the final, in the final movie. I see the unconditional love of Jesus in Jack and Rebecca Pearson and, Jan and Jim and Pam Halpert, okay? I see, I see the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of Jesus in a, a little cartoon clownfish who travels across the entire Pacific Ocean to save his son Nemo. Like, it's, it's everywhere, you guys. Where's Jesus? Everywhere that you look. And every story that's ever been told is just an expression of the ultimate narrative. That's what this is, first and foremost, that you and me are invited into. You can go all the way back to the, the Bible stories that we grew up on in Sunday school. You remember the story where, where God asks Abraham to take his only son Isaac and sacrifice him? And then at the last minute says, gotcha. People have walked away from Christianity because of that story. Because they read it wrong because that story is not primarily about just how to have more faith like Abraham. If it was, it would have given us the Abraham's five-step battle plan to having more faith, and every point would have rhymed. Step one, Christian, it's time to readjust. Step two, shake off the dust. Step three, get rid of your lust. Step four, beware of moths and rust. Step five, try harder to trust, and then secret step six, the mountaintop or bus, sacrifice you must, like I, got, I gotta stop, because this is not, it's not in there. You won't find it, because, 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 while it is about a principle called faith, it is first and foremost shadowing a person called Jesus. Where's Jesus in that story? Isaac had a supernatural birth, Jesus had a supernatural birth. 
I'm just giving you about 3% of the parallels. Isaac is called a one and only son in Genesis 22.2. Jesus is called a one and only son in John 3.16. Abraham and Isaac, father and son duo, set out on a three-day journey of, of sacrifice. Reminds me of another story of sacrifice that involved another father and son pair that, that involved another three-day journey to hell and back between the cross he died on and the empty tomb that he walked out of. Isaac carried the wood for his own sacrifice up the hill he was gonna be killed on. Jesus carried his wooden cross up Golgotha to be crucified. And when God provided a ram in the thicket and the thorns so Abraham would never actually have to sacrifice his son Isaac, Abraham, later that night, after that moment, names that mountain, one day the Lord will provide. That's what he names it. And 42 generations after that evening, a few decades after, that same region of Moriah would later come to be called Jerusalem. The Lord really, really would provide the real Lamb of God who would be sacrificed by crucifixion on one of those same exact hills, you guys. God the Father did what Abraham the Father never had to. Jesus the Son did what Isaac the Son would never have to do. That's why if you, if you ever were offended by that story and it ever bothered you that God would ask Abraham to do that, if that story ever just got your blood going, I wanna say this, good. Let it offend you, let it bother you, and then be all the more bothered that God actually went through with what he never asked Abraham to do. Jesus is the greater Isaac. It is a story about faith, make no mistake, but the power of your faith is the person who is what you're not and comes through when you don't and, and did what you'll never have to. Jesus is the greater Isaac and we can, Let's keep going. Let's go to, to Moses, the prince of Egypt. By the way, if you, if you read Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter three, the first section in your Bible, it'll be, it'll be titled, Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is the greater Moses. But this is crazy because Moses writes this about himself in Deuteronomy 18, 1500 years before Hebrews was ever written, and it's this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from among you. In other words, he's saying, you guys, my life, Moses's life is a prologue whose story parallels to a future savior. Moses was born here, once again, 5% of the parallels. Moses was born during a mass baby genocide after 400 dark years of, of slavery and bondage. Jesus was born during a mass baby genocide after 400 dark years of silence from, from God. Moses came up out of Egypt to redeem his people. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but because of that genocide, Mary and Joseph took him and they, they fled Bethlehem to Egypt. And so it, Jesus also came up out of Egypt to redeem his people just like, just like Moses did to fulfill one of three to 400 prophecies written about him a thousand years before he was even born. This one being Hosea 11.1 1, that says, as God saying, out of Egypt one day, I will call my son. Moses brought the Israelites out of slavery to Pharaoh. Jesus brought the Israelites and the entire world out of slavery to, to the bondage of sin and death. And through Moses, God brought the law that pointed forward to Jesus. And yet through Jesus, the law is fulfilled in what we call the gospel. Jesus is the greater 
Moses. He's, he's everywhere. There are principles, values, and life tips and tricks in this book, in, in the, the law, to the Psalms and the Proverbs and the prophets and the gospels and the, the letters and all of the above. But my point, my point is this, there, there's principles and virtues and morals and life tips and tricks and TED Talks too. So what makes this different? Like what, what's different about this? A person, a person. The typical takeaway from David and Goliath is you're David and you can conquer the giants in your life. And what I'm, what I'm saying to you is yes, that's true. My question is why? Why is that true? Because I could send you some really good Dwayne Johnson motivational YouTube videos that'll have you seizing the day and conquering some giants before 5 p.m. today. I'm telling you, they're good, okay? My question is like, why? What's the power behind that? What's going on? Why are you more than a conqueror? Why can you do all things? The answer is not trying harder to muster more principles and values. The answer is found in the power of a person named Jesus. Because David conquered the, 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 the giant called Goliath, but Jesus has conquered the ultimate giant called sin and death, the giant of all giants, which makes us, the Israelite army, standing behind him, powerless to, to do for ourselves what we need to do or span this chasm that sin has separated between us and God. And Jesus has conquered that giant. He is the centerpiece of scripture. The Bible is not first and foremost just a, a collection of heroes to be emulated, absolutely. But first and foremost, this is the story of a savior to be worshiped. And, and, and sometimes we read it and, and the heart here is good, but we, we read it and go, oh, David's my favorite dude in the Bible. David's my guy, he's my favorite. And David's in heaven going, not me, guys. Like, not me. Because you can, you can go to a church and hear a sermon about David and Goliath where the word Jesus is not mentioned a single time and fewer and fewer Christians are noticing, including preachers. Where's the power for that? David is saying, I'm just a shadow, I'm just a type, I'm just a picture of that guy who can save you and transform you and do what I can't do for you. My life simply just foreshadows him from being born in Bethlehem to conquering the giant all the way to being the unlikely and unexpected king. My life is a picture and expression of the one person you're looking for, Jesus, who gives meaning and power to every other principle and moral and life tip and trick that you read in this book. The person of Jesus is the power behind that. And now that Jesus has knocked out the greatest giant, we can face our lesser ones, that's why. So that's true, it's just, it's the second layer. You miss the first layer, you miss the power behind that. That Jesus is the ultimate more than a conqueror, which is why you have adopted that position because he came down off that animal and traded those places with you and says, now you, you're the more than a conqueror, you're my co-heir, it's you. you. You can go and do likewise now because of a, because of a person. Bravery is a, a, a biblical principle, but it's because of a person named Jesus, I actually have the power to be brave. Because of Jesus, I no longer have to, to fear death or worry about tomorrow or the future. 
Faith is a biblical principle, but it's because of a person called Jesus, we actually have the power to believe that anything is possible for God because a person named Jesus and what he has already done, because of that, God can now heal my marriage. He can now heal this disease. He can, he can heal your cancer. He can set you free from this generational curse. I'm telling you, God can part the Red Sea that is standing in between the, the Egypt of your addiction or alcoholism and, and, and the promised land of your freedom, not just for you, but your children and your children's children for generations, a thousand generations to come. All because if you can predict your own death and resurrection and then pull it off, anything else is simply just child's play. And the word impossible has been forever removed from our dictionary. That word impossible, he laughs at that word. And so he looks at your situation right now that you walked in here with, that you call impossible, and I want you to walk out of here knowing just how possible it is for Jesus to part that Red Sea, to, to conquer that mountain, to, to, to watch that giant fall, to hear those chains just uh, loosen around your wrists and, and, and fall to the floor. It is so possible. That's what I want you to see. They say, they say it's impossible to meet Jesus in Austin, Texas. We see it every weekend. They say it's impossible to build a church this close to the city during a pandemic. We all front row seats. We've been watching God do it for three years now. Like he, he does, this is what he does. He's in the business of doing what's impossible, not because of some principles, but because there is power in the name of Jesus Christ, who is what we're not, comes through when we don't, did what we'll never have to do. It is always only Jesus. And so my challenge to you, even as we, as we worship, is just sit metaphorically speaking, crisscross applesauce in front of him. Be with Jesus. Let his life overflow into yours because you become like him by being with him. And I'm telling you, you will, a year from now, five years from now, you will just all of a sudden be like, when did this happen? I didn't just try harder one Sunday. Like, when did this, there's eternal fruit in my life. There's I'm making a difference. I, I'm walking in more freedom. I, when did that happen? It's not because of moral. This is not a TED Talk. This is better. I love TED Talks. But this has a person who powers all of the principles and life tips and tricks that you're looking for that will change your life. Jesus will change your life. Where is he? Everywhere. Amen. Guys, will we stand up? And, and let's just have a moment. Everybody, just eyes closed right now. This is you and the big man upstairs. I'm talking to anybody who walked in here with an impossible situation and you feel like I'm facing a battle that's bigger than me and I need something supernatural. I need the God factor to, to come and do what I can't do right now, whether it's a disease or, or a relationship that needs restoration or financial struggles or, or whatever it is, you are, you are faced with the Goliath of all Goliaths that you have ever faced in your life and feel like this situation is impossible with every head bow, I just want you to be brave. Raise your hand because I want to pray for you. Yeah, there's hands everywhere. Obviously, mine too. This is the human experience. I want to challenge you to sing a little bit louder because of that. Seek Jesus a little bit more because of that. Let him do what you can't. And if you walked in here and, and things are going great and your hand's not raised, then worship a little bit louder for the hands in here that are. There's power in the name of Jesus. And now anybody in here, 
Maybe you tried religion, but you've never experienced a relationship with Jesus. And like the lawyer, you're asking the, the eternal life question, what's after I die? How do I know I'm going to heaven forever one day? How do I access this abundant life and following him in the, in the here and now? And, and what I'm telling you is the news really is that good. If you've been waiting for the catch, there's not one. He's not waiting for you to go and do likewise for a certain amount of months or years before he finally gives you salvation and everything that goes with it in the here and now. He simply just says, sit in front of me, believe in me, put your faith in me, make me your Lord and your savior. And I will do for you what you can't do. And I will be everything that you're looking for. If you want Jesus, I'm gonna ask you also to be bold and just raise your hand. Nothing magical about a hand raise. Come on, amen. Making an external motion just seems to solidify an, uh, an internal decision and dry some wet cement in your soul that says, I believe Jesus is who he said he is. He's on the throne. You guys, there's power in his name. So where is he? He is everywhere, everywhere. I think this book will get a lot more fun for you to read when you start reading it that way. I think when you read books and watch movies and TV shit, like you will start to just see Jesus everywhere. He is the man that will not go away. Where's Jesus? He's a lot easier to find than Waldo, I promise. He's the answer your heart is looking for. So God, we love you so much. Thank you that this is not just a, a seminar about principles that can help our lives. This is a gathering to worship a, a person who has the power to change everything about our lives. Give us the faith to believe that. Give us the breath in our lungs to sing that. Give us the hope to believe that what's waiting tomorrow and next week and next year is better than today. The best is yet to come. Give us the faith. Give us the courage and the bravery to face whatever we need to face. Give us the passion to seek a person. In Jesus' name, amen.